0: Hello and welcome to Leave Your Mark. I'm your host, Scott Livingston, and this is where I explore the influences that have shaped the lives of our incredible guests. These are the stories of lives worth talking about. Follow me on Twitter, Built by Scott, and Instagram at KingOpain, or link up with me on my Facebook fan page, Scott G. Livingston. My goal is to empower and inspire a community of people who take every opportunity to live a high-performing life. Before I get started on today's podcast, I want to take a moment to connect you with my sponsor, ReconditioningHQ.com. If you're in human performance today, you recognize that the industry has changed. Gone are the days of highly focused specialists who live in their isolated lanes, working without the understanding of the whole human being. The world of human performance is about integration today. It's about recognizing what your client needs to do to perform at their highest potential, discovering the parts of the puzzle of performance that need work, while keeping this person moving, training, performing, and succeeding seamlessly. Reconditioning is an operating system for this new world of human performance. The practice honors the role of each specialization and helps define the most powerful and tactical use of interventions that will make a difference. You don't take your car to the garage only when it's broken. You schedule it for regular maintenance so that it keeps running smoothly when you need it. The human body is no different and reconditioning professionals are those best prepared to keep the human body running. Check out our courses at ReconditioningHQ.com today. Follow our robust educational programming and become the reconditioning professional everyone wants to work with. It's been four years that Leave Your Mark has been up and running, and during these four years, uh, we've had a fantastic podcast sponsor in Matrix Fitness. I have to thank Greg Lawler for his commitment to this podcast and his commitment and his team's commitment to what we're trying to do is helping you in the community see and listen to some of the best in the business of human performance. And To talk about the best in the business, well, right back at Matrix Fitness, they are the best in the business at what they do and they serve uh, the continuum of human performance from the day-to-day person who is looking just to stay fit and, and to aspire to be healthy to the person who wants to be out uh, performing at their best in an athletic endeavor. They have all the equipment that spans that continuum. They're ready to help you, the practitioner, or you, the person who wants to build your at-home facility or a facility or an institutional facility to have success with your clients or with yourself. So I encourage you to take a look at their products Head over to teamupwithmatrix.ca today and check out what they're doing. They have outstanding equipment and outstanding customer service. So once again, thank you to Matrix for supporting Leave Your Mark and take some time today to check them out. Wow, what's going on at reconditioninghq.com these days is insane. Uh, You can find the entire R1 Foundations course online and available to digest at your leisure. The R2 Designs course is right there as well, fully loaded. R3 CoLab is a combination of online material all about the neurological system and then a live laboratory where we dive deep on everything, reconditioning. These three courses walk you through the process of reconditioning all the information and what we've done now is we've attached to all of this a mastermind community and when you're in the mastermind community, it's 20 bucks a month uh, and you have access to weekly meetings that we're going to be doing on case studies, all kinds of gem material from things that we've done, uh, guest presenters, guest interviews. We have Matt Jordan coming up in a few weeks, Nick Ward from Altus coming in a few weeks as well. So we've got some outstanding people coming as guests in the future. We are basically in that mastermind combining a revolving eight-week labs for each of those courses. So they're cycling through. We're going to do eight weeks and take a break to another eight weeks. So if you're in R1 and you want to come in and learn while you're in the mastermind, we have meetings once a week for an hour to go through the material. So it keeps you accountable, allows you to touch base with what you've learned, ask your questions. It really allows you to dive deep on all the information. On top of that, because the world is starting to open up a little bit, we are going to have our first live lab in Montreal, May 14th, 15th for R1 Foundations, and effectively what we're going to do is when you purchase a course, you have all that material online, you have access to the Mastermind and the community material and the community learning, and then you can come with to this meeting on the weekend for two days and just dive deep on how to play with all the information. And so it's not a a teaching lab as much as it is a learning lab, a trying lab, a context lab. And that's what we've got uh, big time for everybody these days. And then on top of that, the International Hockey Performance Summit is pivoted to virtual. June 10 to 12, all the powerful content, we have kept it all in there. We've revised the curriculum. You can go online, take a look at it. The SCAF Summit pre-summit is going to be there too. So three days of incredible information is going to be available to you. If you have an interest in hockey performance or foundationally the people who are speaking at this thing are the top of the world at what they do. So you're going to take away whether it's hockey related or just training and performance related it's there for you. So Come and join us uh, virtually. It's all there for the taking. And then on top of that, if you are interested in ski performance training and you want to learn to train to train uh, or train to compete with your athletes that you're working with off snow, I am doing a ski program a workshop on April 23rd 24th in Mont-Tremblant Quebec it is also virtual as well so it's live and virtual it's a hybrid event you can jump on that and that's available right now going to be dropping the hammer on that April 23rd 24th So uh, look forward to having you with us in anything we're doing reconditioning today. Head over to reconditioninghq.com to check out all our offerings. As an avid listener of the Leave Your Mark podcast, I'm sure you recognize the process that I take our guests through in learning about their lives and understanding what it has taken for them to become the professionals and the successes that they've had in their lives, and effectively, there's a lot of learning that we go through, and everybody that I talk to talks about mentorship and influential people in their lives, and the podcast has always been my offering to the community at large uh, for you to see and learn from the insights of others. But now what I'm doing is, uh, at the beginning of May, I am launching the Leave Your Mark Life Lab, and this is going to be my stewardship process for helping you become the professional you want to be through mentorship, through reflection, through directed conversation, giving you skills, providing accountability, and talking about your progress. And inside a group of people who are all trying to do the same thing. Providing you with a a lens uh, of, of reflection on yourself and the things that you want to accomplish and recognize that you need to put as much into yourself as you do into others. And this industry is crazy when it comes to us taking care of everybody else but not taking care of ourselves. So I want to change that. That's what the... LYM Life Lab is all about. I encourage you to head over to the Leave Your Mark website, which is LYMLab.com. Check out what we're offering in the LYM Life Lab section. You can also download two free videos that I created that are a starter kit to this process and looking at creating change in your life. And I would be remiss if I didn't say, hey, grab yourself a hat while you're there because Leave Your Mark hats are sick lids if i do say so myself and lastly i want to uh invite you to check out the latest episodes and please take the time to go over and leave a comment leave a rating on your favorite streaming service because it helps us get out to more people so without further ado let's get on to the podcast Welcome to the Leave Your Mark podcast. I'm your host, Scott Livingston, and today is a special podcast where we talk about the future of hockey athlete development. This was part of a conference that we just ran, the International Hockey Performance Summit. It was just completed this past weekend. Um, for those of you who are listening in the future, uh, we did this in June 10 to 12, Um 2022, and this was the kickoff hot stove. Uh, as we, uh, it's a Canadian uh, euphemism for sitting around and talking about a subject matter. So this hot stove is about um, the future of hockey, performance development, and developing young athletes in um, in hockey. So if that interests you, or just the idea of athletic development, uh, lots of great conversational pieces, and that's what this uh, this hot stove and this. Uh, Leave your mark episode is all about. Have a good one. Take care. We open up with Mike Potenza of the San Jose Sharks.
1: I think when I first came in the league, I was I came from the University of Wisconsin, so you know I was surprised at kind of the inconsistencies of of what types of players we had, and I, and I didn't really look into the Canadian junior system where European europeans of the same age that i had in the college ranks and and all that we knew that was that we were training a lot you know in college so i was surprised at that but i wasn't surprised and then i guess when i dove into it from a development camp standpoint because that was my first experience in san jose when i took the job over the summer of 06 or something like that i um I was like, wow, this is like a programming nightmare. So we have kids all over the place that we have to program for and, and strengthen, and, uh, strengthen power with the the, t- the two things that stood out with a, with a kind of energy system development need not too far behind. Um, so over the years that, that did change a little bit, I, I, I would say in a five-year period, it looked like everybody was kind of getting on board with it. And then there was just, just an uh, maybe recently there's and we because we haven't had the we had a recent combine but we we haven't had it and we didn't have it in 19 and 20 there seemed like there was another there was another change where it was down ticking a little bit more so that need for strength and power and then a close second or a close third would have been the energy system work came back so um, and I, and I'm not sure, I think it was just cause they were looking for, I mean, as a whole, everybody was looking for a more skilled player and maybe it wasn't based on size, but it was skill and the, and the need for clutch and grab and, and, and all that was kind of gone because of the rules or because of what teams were winning with right fast, small skill guys. And then you had a, um, several players supporting that were big and strong and that could keep up. Right. Um, so as of now, it still is a major priority for us to physically prepare those young men if they're prospects, but then it's also a major priority to, to develop our American league um, system because those players are going to play. And I think all the NHL guys who are on this call would probably agree that they're going to get a chance in, and maybe not in the, the teams that are still playing right now, but I know most certainly that on our team, they were getting a chance. So they need to be ready. And so one of the, One of the shortcomings, I was, I will say, and and you guys may think I'm batshit crazy, but one of the shortcomings is the fact that you know the conditioning level of the players when they're dumped into the NHL, whether it be one or two years after the American League or most certainly after a year in junior hockey, is that their energy systems aren't ready. Like, there's no consideration from management, or or there's no consideration from management than the fact that like they're going to wear down. And my last point, I guess the coaches definitely understand that and they're patient with it to a point, but then, you know, and then, then, that's when you kind of have the closed door conversations and, and, you know, they do their management coaching kind of thing. And that's where I step back and say, I, I can't fix it overnight. So I hope that's kind of where
0: you wanted me to take it, Scotty.
1: Um, but
0: yeah no that was that was fantastic uh, Mike as a kickoff um any of the other guys who've been in the league uh or the HL uh who want to chime in you know, just put your hand up or open your audio and just before somebody answers just for everybody um if you want to ask a question or you want to interject just put your use the raise your hand thing and i'll i'll come over to you i'm happy to have other people discuss this is an open forum it's not meant for us to sort of just preach to everybody so uh i was gonna do you have any views on that uh pricer at your uh, at your level right now where you're you're uh in the in the grill there and seeing what what guys are coming up with or without at this point
2: Um, Thanks again, Scotty, for having us here. I was actually curious if Roger or Reg might have jumped in there because they they certainly span a couple of decades, at least between the two of them there, and would have certainly seen a a big chunk of this evolution. Um, And my experience is fairly uh, deep uh, but narrow, um, kind of been away from the game for a while. I'm back in here with the Kings, and it's it's been exclusively with this group. So I don't I don't get to see a lot what's going outside of our group. Um, but I can certainly uh, echo what Mike said: is uh, <clears throat> obviously a push for younger talent in the NHL. Uh, younger equals cheaper, um, and unfortunately, a lot of the kids are arriving just unprepared physically. Um, so we're still in a in a situation where we're we're having to uh really emphasize physical development at a time where they're they're probably just they're not physically prepared and, and so it's it's a stress on the system they're they're coming through our league they're having to play 82 games um and most of them can't handle it um so yeah I think it's a very general uh, uh sentiment but just a just a over overall underprepared athlete I think mm-hmm
0: well i'll take your i'll take your cue on that because obviously we do have raj and reg here and um um, earlier, Mike uh, Potenza paid homage to these two guys in their efforts to create uh, the SCAF Group over the years, and uh, we've got both of those guys on here. So, just want to recognize that uh, Reggie Roger for the work you did over the years to to create what you did in the in the National Hockey League. But maybe uh, Raj, start and tell me what you know. You, do you have perspective on this? That uh, you know, you've seen uh, things, cha- how you've seen things change, and what what you think really needs to still be brought up
3: yeah i i think i agree with mike in that you know when you look at the early 2000s uh it was a the rules were totally different before that first lockout in 04 so there's a lot of clutch and grab i mean i I still had d men that said oh i could play 35 minutes a night because they didn't have to skate just hang on to guys um Goalies could play pucks uh, behind the crease in the corners. You know, you had goalies firing the puck up and being sort of that third defenseman. Uh, Things like um, uh, chipping the puck over the glass as a rule in the defensive zone. Uh, That was not penalized. Um, Players could change uh, when there's a penalty uh, for the faceoff. So there's a lot of different things that happened uh, at that time. Uh, So the game was completely different. Um, Once that lockout happened and the rules changed, everybody had to be able to skate. And I remember, um, like Mike, you're saying that it's sort of a follow me league where you know Detroit wins and all of a sudden it's like oh what are they doing we're gonna do what they did oh Anaheim won oh we gotta get big and heavy and you know that's what we're gonna do and you know Tampa's winning oh we gotta get skill oh, you know Pittsburgh's winning we gotta get skill like and so like these kinds of things it, it tend to happen but um you also have to look at what deck you're dealt and kind of go through that and I agree that it's funny we talked about earlier how things kind of go out of vogue and then come back in vogue and uh you know things like wow. conditioning and aerobic conditioning and items like that that went completely out the window and then all of a sudden it's creeping back in and um we got to keep looking at players as as you know separate entities and use all the information we can to start pushing forward and and um I just think that the the league has changed so much that it's a faster, more skillful league, and uh, it's up to us to kind of exploit those areas now.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Reggie,
0: did you have anything you wanted to add to that, or can I pivot to the next topic? Or are you uh, you got something you want to really bring to the table? No, he's
5: Scotty. No, yes, okay. No, no, I'm, I'm here, Scotty. Go ahead. We'll take we'll that. <clears throat>
0: Was there anything you wanted to 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 add to that discussion before I pivot to another uh, topic space? No, no, let's pivot to the next. Okay, cool. So, I'm going to uh I'm going to pivot over to Vinny Maltz actually who's uh in the room and Vinny um, I, I know has a a company of his own and uh, you know is is deeply involved in athletic development right. and uh, I'd love to get your opinion Vinny on the next subject which is really sort of this idea between you know, the multi-sport, um, and the sports specialization models and, you know, our kids getting too vested too early and being specialized as hockey players. Um, what have you seen? What is your, what's your opinion on that? And what's your viewpoint now that you've been doing this for so many years and you played the game at such a high level as well? Like what, what do you think?
6: Yeah. Thanks, uh, sky for having me on here and, uh, be amongst everybody in here. It was awesome. As always. Um, So, you know, the big thing I'm noticing is it's out there in the trend of knowing, you know, you still have to get out there and create that variety right in the athletic development. But there is still you can still feel it from a lot of the players where they are. If if it's a high level player, if it's a high performer at a young age, the specialization of there's so much training you have to do. You got to get on the ice, work on your skating. You got to get in the gym there's so much more of that influence now from whether it's your advisor slash agent um, that you need to go work on this stuff. So where where you're having a real struggle is that they, everyone's looking for that edge of at a much younger age now. I need to get with the advisor. I need to get the agent. I need to get the skills coach. I need to get these specifics. And it's happening at that 13, 14, 15 stage. So a lot of the influence. So what we're finding is that There's so much of the adults in the room and and they have so many voices that that's one of the things that when you look at the influence around a lot of these high-performing players that end up at the higher levels, that's, that's what you're kind of dealing with is that all the voices are pointing them towards specialization. You need to do more. You need to do more of this. You need to get in there. They're not getting the voice of reason of where, wait a second. So an example would be you know, a, a high level 16 year old player, 15 year old player where they feel I have to go do summer tournaments and I have to go do these other events. And recently I just had one player where, yeah, they told me how they didn't, they want to take off May. They didn't want to do anything. They wanted to focus in on strength conditioning. And they talked about even playing, getting out, playing some tennis, you know, just getting away from the ring, doing something different. And one of the other coaches that they know, a lot, that ironically enough, said with Montreal, was just like, hey, um, you know, we have a tournament in Montreal. Why don't you come out and skate with us? And so w- the dad had said initially, I don't want to come out there um, to your tournament. Thank you. We're going to chill out in May. He's going to take some time, da, da, da. Well, this other coach, you know what? Hey, he, he convinced us to go out there. So sorry. We didn't want to go do it. And this is a player that didn't need to go do it. Like, this is just a high level most likely ends up getting drafted high round in the NHL did not need to go do this, but because of that influence, you know, ended up going and going to a tournament that then he goes and he got upset about how weak the competition was. And why did I come out here? And he's from the BC area. So, you know, that, that's what I noticed a lot of, you know, there's, there's the talk in the air that we we know it's good. The players know it's good. They know the variety is important. You need to do it, but there is that section of where also the influence of the adults in the room where it's tough keeping up with the Joneses and what to do that, that narrative and that influence is really difficult to navigate and get around because it's so loud right now of the influence and the experts in the room that push a lot of these high performers towards the specialization early that you need to stay ahead and get all this stuff done as opposed to well, we all know you need the variety mm-hmm. and so that's that's what experiencing and noticing is that the information is out there. We know it's what's best. It's the right thing to do. Um, But the influence of the people surrounding and the teams that are surrounding these kids at a young age, it's uh, super challenging to get those voices out of there. And um, that's, that's a big part that just noticing, you know, if if looking at from the 30,000 foot view in that respect. Very cool. Thanks, Vinny. I want to pivot over to Andy for a second.
0: Andy, you um, obviously most know, have developed one of the, the, best players in the game and when you look back on that that trajectory of sid and the development of that athlete as a hockey athlete um what pearls of wisdom do you bring to the table now in terms of on this subject matter with regard to the you know multi-angular expression of the athlete versus the hockey player expression of the athlete
7: Yeah, it's a good question, Scotty. Like, um, more recently, I'd say over the last year or so I've gotten a bit more exposure to what's going on in the development world than I had previously. I've I've always had a business, but it was pretty small and boutique and it was mainly pros I think right from the beginning. But, uh, when I started with Sid, I've been training Sid for 21 years now. Uh, first year he was 13. So we had quite a bit of runway even before he became a pro and, um, uh, not necessarily saying this is the model for everybody, because obviously he's a unicorn and, you know, he's going to have success regardless of what strategies he's employing. But I would say that, um, like for most of the people that didn't know him, he was a multi-sport athlete didn't do a lot of the spring hockey stuff. He played football and baseball. So there's, you know, there's good proof of concept there. I think not only to say that's how you become a good hockey player, but I think if you look at the type of player he is, um, he adjusts really well in games. Uh, he's very versatile. I think he has really good reads on time and space. Um, he has very good motor skills that show up in his performance. So I think if you, if you make an argument, I think in the multi sport side, it comes out there. Um, he never had a skills coach or a skating coach throughout his career, just had a strength and conditioning coach. Um, we had a lot of time because I sort of moved from PEI to Halifax when I started working with him. And he was my first client my first year. So we had a lot of time to lay down fundamentals and learn, you know, I, I was kind of a young kid at the time that just knew he was a phenom and didn't want to injure him. So I just was uh, kind of focused on making sure he did everything correctly. We spent a lot of time teaching. Uh, there was a mentorship process there and we did do multiple sessions a day uh, for, I'd say his first four years, we did between two to three sessions a day. So, um, so I guess he's, a, he's an example of somebody that developed a lot of fundamentals at, a, at an early age and spent a lot of time developing some mastery. It wasn't just kind of attacking it to get his heart rate up and to get the hardest workout possible. There was like quite a bit of teaching there on that s side. So I think he's a he is a proof of concept of a lot of the things that this community is preaching for kids. And I think that we see an absence of there. Um, and I think that probably one of the things that made it easy is even at 13, 14, I think uh, he was good enough that you kind of knew he was probably going to play in the NHL. So we weren't necessarily just preparing him for the next year of junior hockey or preparing him to go to Shattuck St. Mary's like that was part of it, but it was definitely kind of starting with a little bit of a longer term focus, you know, knowing that he was probably going to play in the NHL at 18 and had to, had to get ready for that, you know. First and foremost, so so I think it, a bit more of a longer term focus, a bit more, uh, you know, teaching implementation of fundamentals, a little bit of a longer, more boring approach. You know, it wasn't about being fancy. It was about um, being patient um, and, you know, getting really good at some real basic things that we felt um, served as a foundation to progressions, you know, over years. And um, so, but again, you know, he's a unicorn, but I, I think for those people that don't really know his early years, that's kind of how it played out. Thanks.
0: Annie. I want to bring uh, Maria Mountain in because Maria's got a huge background in uh, athlete preparation, but also sp- specializing a lot in goaltenders now and goalies you know i kind of feel like the goaltender is the athlete that's changed the most in professional hockey over the last 25 years and what are you seeing or have seen over the length of your career in terms of their development as athletes but maybe some of the things the gaps in in the way people are developing them or preparing them that we 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 need to know better in a sense for for the goaltender animal
8: yeah. Um, thanks Scott. Hi everybody. It, it's a lot of the same things as the skaters, you know, the same pressures. Um, when Vince was talking, I was thinking in our area, how, you know, the AAA coach I want to play for next year is running a summer skate this year and, you know, for a fee and, but I better, I better do that. So, um, but I think, yeah, certainly it used to be the, the fat kid that couldn't skate you're the goalie and now um, that the athleticism, you know, is more and more important. Uh, But I think to so much of their, emphasis is on their on ice and working with their goalie coach from a very young age and trying to do what they see the guys on tv do it really goes around what andy was talking about let's just make this a good little athlete and then we'll you know get them doing rvh and smashing into the butterfly and you know they're they're spending so much you know i think of my brother had a 1978 Honda Civic that he painted with a roller. And it was the first standard car we had in our family. So I asked my brother, was 17 years old, hey, can you teach me to drive a stick shift? He says, Maria, that transmission only has so many shifts in it. And if I waste those shifts teaching you how to drive stick, that, those are shifts I can't use. And that's how I feel about the goalie's hips. And I think a lot of those shifts are being used up as kids because their parents pay for them to go to goalie camp. They want to see them doing RVH, just like the guys, you know, learning, cause that's the way to do it. Um, and it chews them up.
0: Mm-hmm. Great perspective there. Um, I'm going to pull Vicky into the conversation. Um, you know, our, our, I'm not as familiar with the women's game, but I'd like to know if the pressure dynamics, the development mental dynamics that you saw as you grew up in the game and, and since uh, are, are similar to the men's side or different and are there different kinds of things that, that um, the women's side is not doing in terms of a gap perspective uh, as you look back now or look at the athlete now?
9: Sure. Thanks, Scotty. I think uh there, there's a lot of similarities to to what everybody's um sw- spoken about already. Uh when I was growing up in the game, it there wasn't a lot of early specialization and you know, kids played multiple sports. When I was growing up, you know, in the, in the summer, there was no spring hockey or, or summer hockey you would do. If you're going to do camps, there are there multi-sport camps and you would do everything throughout the summer. And maybe you'd have a week of hockey camp, but even hockey camp, you'd be playing multiple sports um, within that camp. And it was really, I like hearing um, some of the other coaches uh, speak. I was reminded of, of, Uh, my first time working with our under 18 women's team. So just for anyone that might not be familiar with um, how our national women's program is structured, we've kind of got three levels of programs. We've got our our under 18 uh, women's program, which actually they're competing in the world championship right now. They're playing right now and I might have another screen on. Um, And then we have our development team, which is kind of like our our university age athletes. And then we have our senior national team, which is kind of the the team that's competing in the, the world championships or the Olympics. And, I think it might might have been just my second year coaching. So I was fresh out of being an athlete. I'd just retired and um, I was able to get the opportunity to work with our under 18 program. And it was before the game and I was warming the group up. So I I pulled the soccer ball out and uh, we were just, you know, I was trying to get them to play some keep up, play some sewer ball because that's what I did when we were a player. And I remember we were trying to play keep up and the girls couldn't keep the ball up. They couldn't, for like, it'd be one hit and a shank one hit and the ball was on the ground. And I remember getting so frustrated. I almost had to remove myself because I wanted to play. I was still like in athlete mode a little bit. And uh, I remember that was my kind of first um, insight into athlete development because I had just started coaching and I wasn't really in that space yet. And I was like, wow, there's there's something missing here. And now I think it's really interesting because I've, I've had the opportunity to work with all of our programs um, across of our national team, the, the u team, the development team, and our senior team. And our, our group with the senior team, they're incredible athletes. They they truly are. And it's just interesting how when when you're at U eighteen or the development level, to to get to that senior level, like you have to check a lot of boxes, but it's just interesting that it seems to be the the players that have that really awesome foundation of athleticism that are ones that are able to persevere and, and end up making it to that that senior team and are the ones that kind of stick there. And the other ones that that don't seem to have that nice athletic base where they can kick a soccer ball and they move well and they can throw a football and all these things, uh, they seem to to um, get kind of eliminated from the the program before they do break onto the the senior team. So I think athleticism is is definitely lacking um in our in our younger players uh but it's it's still so crucial for them um to have that that wide foundation of movement and skills because that's everything that that hockey can build on
0: thank you I'm going to pull in uh, Paul Gagne here for a second, because Paulie, I know you, you have a robust background in working with a lot of European players over your career who come over and work with you. Um, what have you noticed about uh, the European athlete, maybe that it's different than the North American athlete that you feel maybe we need to learn a little bit from, or maybe not? You know, I'm just kind of curious if there's there's perspective there. Quick break here. We'll be back with our guest in just a moment. We've been lucky at Leave Your Mark since the very beginning almost that Matrix Fitness has come on as our main sponsor and they remain steadfast to this program because they know how it serves the community at large the same way they serve the human performance community as well. And, Basically, if you need something in the world of human performance, whether it's to build a performance facility or training facility or fitness facility, whether it's a home facility you're trying to build or a hybrid facility out of the garage to work with clients – it doesn't really matter what the actual goal is. They have a product for you. They have the equipment and they have the service capacity to make sure that you're getting what you need when you need it for what you need it for. And that's the key is they are a full service organization. They are worldwide. They are one of the biggest Uh, equipment manufacturers in the world for human performance and they remain dedicated to bringing great products every day to you the consumer so that you can do what it is you need to do which is take care of your clients and or take care of yourself. I encourage you to go over to teamupwithmatrix.ca and check out their products today ask them the questions you need answers to and they will do their best to take care of you. Thanks again, Matrix, for taking care of L-Y-M. Do you struggle with finding the reason why your client keeps coming back to you with the same injury problem or why your client that you're training is having limitations in their performance? Do you find yourself challenged with how to progress the exercises that you're going to do or regress them or understand what actually is going on with their movement and what may need to be tweaked or changed or cleaned up so that they can function more appropriately and perform better? Do you find it challenging sometimes to work in or with other practitioners and professionals so that you can create a solution for the clients or the team or the organization that you're with? Well, reconditioning is all about providing you with an operating system for navigating those environments in those situations. It is a fundamental process that scripts and brings together the worlds of therapy and performance in uh, a way that no one else is really doing. It brings together applied neurology, the foundation of uh, why we move and how we move, and gives you the tools to make the changes and understand where you can take your tool set and be more tactical with it and get greater intervention Uh, outcomes and better outcomes in general for your athletes and for your clients in general. So this is not just a system for athletes. It's a system for every human being. And we also believe that every human being is some form of athlete. So we need to look at the human being, what it is that the human wants to do and take care of business when it comes to getting them prepared to do what they want to do. So if you're interested in upgrading your professional practice, run over to reconditioninghq.com today and take a look at our offerings. Uh, We have a beautiful course curriculum and program that takes you from point A to point Z or Z if you like Z better than Z and helps you take care of uh, all the people that you need to take care of on a daily basis. Our reminder that the doors are open for application to the LYM Life Lab that begins Right at the start of May, and this month we'll be taking applications, sorting out who's going to be a part of this program. We want people who are dedicated to self-reflection and growth and contribution and want to make a change in their world and be the best they can be. I suggest you head over to lymlab.com today. Check out the program on the LYM Life Lab page. If you want to, there are two free downloads there that you can jump on. Um, just to get you started with instigating change in your world and uh, working on your mindset and other skills that we're going to be dumping into and having a lot of fun with in the program. There's a lot to it. Uh, if you read the fine print, so to speak, on that page, The Leave Your Mark Life Lab page, you'll see some of the different things that you're going to be learning, the things we're going to be doing, and how we're going to operate through this next year. Uh, I want to uh, invite anybody who wants to instigate change in their lives and create the best situation for themselves under the guidance of mentorship and community. Jump on it today, Uh, head over there and apply. And if you've got any questions, just feel free to PM me. Take care. We're back. Enjoy the podcast.
10: So, I started to work in um, Czech Republic in Slovakia like early two thousand, and I was really impressed about their, their level, like especially for running and plyometrics. And most of them they do a lot of soccer and tennis is a big, 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 big thing there. But also when I was talking to the coaches, a lot of them were eds. And in their program, they didn't have Uncle John or Uncle Paul training them. No one like in Slovakia and Czech, they didn't they had like physette teachers coaching hockey they had a background and I know you we talked that to that a lot of time it's an obstacle uh like for goalie I've been with Marc-André Fleury for like he was 16 years old I mean it's 21 years and how many times I still have to drive in they're giving in like they're killing him on the ice even at that age I says guys please let me do the conditioning please I'm the posturologist and just do the technical how many ups and downs he does in a game please Please respect that. Like I, I, when I rehab Max Pacioretty, guys were giving him like one timers like for the whole day says, Max, how many times are you going to take the puck and have the chance to shoot it like this? You have to. I mean, yeah, there's always that difference that we saw when I was in check and and their level of volume and intensity in, in on the ice was very different than here because they had. A physical, they had a science background and they were working hand to hand with the strength coach, and all of them could have been strength and conditioning. And that's where their multi sport background helped them, but also the more scientific approach of volume and intensity on the ice. That made a big difference because how many times as a strength coach, I need to tape up what's been untaped on the ice. Too much volume, too much of the same thing without proper knowledge. And when we chive in, they look at us like what are you? But then they they improvise as strength and conditioning specialists, but they're only doing their coaching, their hockey coach. And this is where I work in Europe a lot with the soccer team, like with Tottenham, and there's eight guys. There's four strength and conditioning in the gym and four on the, on the field, but with the technical, we all talk to each other. And that's very unique. And we have all these devices. I mean, they got big budgets, but that's where everybody on the same page, we don't improvise. I don't take the technical part, but they don't take the physical or the, the, that's where, and on the, on the sad side, when I started there, they didn't do enough upper body. Everything was, they thought, legs. These guys were huge legs, and they had a lot of groin injuries. Over time, they understood, like, okay, I need to get my upper body a little more strength. That's what we've seen the last, I would say, 15, 15 years. Thanks, Paul. I appreciate your your thoughts.
0: Um, I want to just uh, take a pause here for one second and just uh, honor the sponsors of the IHPS, uh, one uh, one especially who's online, Greg Lawler with Matrix. And Nathan, Greg is part of us instigating this conversation tonight. Uh, I also want to say thank you to Zankai, Reg Paul, Isofit, and Polar, all of whom are, are making this conference possible. Uh, but with regard to what I just said with Greg, I had a conversation with Greg and Mark Fitzgerald a while ago about uh, the idea of trying to bring a little bit of perspective, this subject and maybe, um, us acting as a community moving forward in some way, shape or form to set the tone or set the, um, you know, set the messaging in a, in the right way to, to sort of overcome some of the pressure dynamics that are either league centric or parent centric, et cetera. And we have to be sort of a united front around that. So I'm going to pull Mark in for a second and just, you know, this, this has been a passionate, uh, um, area for yourself and I know you're doing a lot of athletic development now um what do you think as a as a community we need to do differently or we need to express to parents coaches etc moving forward that so that everybody gets the same message uh, moving forward
11: yeah thanks Scotty and, and thanks and hello everyone uh sorry I was late getting on um you know, I think I think first and foremost, Andy said it really well with with, with a couple of the points around um, athleticism, and, and Vicky same thing, Maria same thing, Paul same thing, and it's I don't really know how to to get this message in front of you know some of these parents that I'm now experiencing with my ten year old son. You know, and we did the whole spring hockey thing, and I was kind of naive going into it because I didn't really know you know what i didn't know you know this is our first year here so really taking part in it and uh it was very eye opening it was very eye opening in the fact that these parents are already trying to navigate their kids careers in hockey before they're you know even really not even close to even being in puberty you know and it's just like i'm just scratching my head because it's i'm trying to promote all our kids to do everything. You know, you want to go try gymnastics. You want to try flag football. You want to try lacrosse. You want to try, you know, jujitsu. Yep. We're going to do it all. And you're going to try to learn something from each one of these activities. I just call it, I've said this before, I call it exposures. I'm going to try and expose them to a bunch of different methods and different coaches and different styles and different things, because in my opinion, they all pour into the same uh, bucket of athleticism and movement quality and movement capacity and what have you. And that's, you know, the, I'll give you an example. And this is a true story. And, you know, we, we're heading into our last spring tournament and one of the parents was like, Oh, we got extra ice on, on the, another practice for the week. And I couldn't help myself. I think there's was steam coming out of my ears. I, I said, Hey, extra ice is not the answer. I said, having our kids go there fresh and, and, like looking forward to competing is the answer and and making sure that we have a, I said, you know what, what we could do is maybe instead of going to Tim Hortons, instead of going to Kelsey's Casey's or wherever the hell you want to go, why don't we, you know, get some snack bags for each kid that has some good protein bars and it's some trail mix, some oatmeal for the mornings. And all the parents, and they were great. They said, yeah, let's do that. Uh, You know, and then I had other parents on the team putting their 10-year-olds on treadmills and doing interval training before to get ready for the week. And I said, you know what, my son's at soccer practice, so he doesn't need to go on a treadmill, nor do I have a treadmill in my house that's fit for my 10-year-old, you know. So, like, then they're well-meaning people. They're good people. I just think it's such a, you know, I wish they were on this call, because it's like, I don't I don't get around and, and stand on a soapbox and preach at them. But when they ask me, I'm very blunt around what I believe. And I think with my kids, it shows in their ability to adapt to new sports, you know, and their ability to, um, you know, adapt to different situations, you know. And, and, hey, hey, your kid's a good sprinter. Hey, your kid can jump. Hey, your kid can play all these at a pretty decent level, you know. And it's like, well, yeah, because... He's learned a lot of different things along the way, you know, and I think when you put a 10 year old in the, you're going to be the next Sidney Crosby, or you are going to like, that's not fair. And that's not even, you might not even like hockey in three years. You probably won't unfortunately. And I think that's a whole other, you know, conversation I see Maria shaking her head or nodding in approval just around, like, I want my kids to love whatever they do first and foremost. And that's, you know, it's sometimes a hard thing because I was I've had you know, and now I'm going on, sorry, Scotty, I've had those moments of um you know, where you you get kind of caught up in it, where you know i'm I'm too hard on my son maybe, and telling him what he did wrong in the game and whatever, and he's you know, I think he he already understands how to deal with me by now, which is kind of funny. But we've set a new rule around hockey games. And every time he looks over at me, it's thumbs up only. I don't care if you just, you know, gave away or made a bad play, whatever, it's thumbs up only. And that's totally changed our relationship around hockey. And I've had to check myself and I'm like, you know, hey, I have to give him a thumbs up. It's thumbs up only. That's our rule. That's and and I'm not perfect. I definitely have probably embarrassed a little bit about what I've maybe done early on when I just was still trying to figure it out as a dad and a parent, you know, and no matter my background, it's like, you're still a parent, right? Like you're still trying to figure out what's best for your kid and what have you. So, sorry for getting long winded, but it's, it's a big conversation and I I don't know if I have the answer, but it's, it's definitely more people like this on this call, you know, maybe standing up on the soapbox a little bit and, and taking a better, um, you know, taking a better stance, a stronger stance on, hey, what what should we be doing? You know, like it's, you know, again, I think it's sometimes hard because most of the people on this call feel like you know they're either in business or they're with a team or what have you, and it's not really that easy. And I don't think it's a certain type of person that wants that attention as well.
0: I'm going to pull Goldie in here for a second, simply just to bring, um, you know, I I wouldn't say an expansive career of athlete development and working in the leagues and things. So Lauren, how did you, um, or how, you know, did you manage the parent conversation, you know, when you were doing this more uh, from, you know, your ACC business and things, how did you sort of preface um, what you felt, They needed to do or get the message across and and did you or was it always a struggle
12: it was always a struggle and I'm really glad I'm not in that environment anymore (laughs) the the parents were they were they were challenging day to day week to week month to month there was always a flavor of the month that they felt that their kids were supposed to be doing and I remember multiple times you know kind of getting tired of hearing about this and that so I would bring the parents in for a lecture at the ACC and explain to them the the fundamentals that were necessary to help their kids develop, how they had to train, how they had to, you know, have some fun, how they had to have some time for themselves, how they had to eat properly, the the little things that they had to do to, you know, make a difference in their athletic life and their, their fun life, too, if you will. And um there's a lot of a lot of parents out there who have a tough time accepting that their that their kids not going to the NHL, they're not getting an NCAA scholarship, but they still love hockey. They still want to play competitively, they want to work at it. And you know, I think the parents sometimes wanted it a little bit more. So it was it was uh it was challenging. So the last number of years since I kind of left UPMC and You know, working for working with Ben and the Steelers here was uh, it was a lot easier. I didn't have to I didn't have to convince Ben's parents about what we had to do for him to get him ready for games and what have you. So that was uh, that was really nice. That was really nice. Hmm.
0: I want to uh, invite the, the plenary now is there any anybody want to open your mic and just add, do you have a comment on how you've managed if you work in a in a more um development centric uh business model have you how have you brokered or managed this parent, parental discussion or the coaching messaging around what the kids need to do versus what they they perceive they need to do anybody uh got some thoughts? quietude in the Western front there.
5: So Scotty, I'll I'll throw a couple of things in and I'll preface it by saying it's exceptionally difficult if the, the, sort of health of your business is based on getting a certain number of clients. It's incredibly difficult. Um, I'm sort of fortunate that I'm in the space, but it's diverse. So there's a lot of different streams coming in. Um, You just have to, it's like playing poker, but you have to be willing to walk away. You got to lay it out there say, this is exactly what it is. And it's okay if you don't want to do it. And if they don't want to do it, you know, and they can go on and we'll see in a year or two years when you don't figure it out and you work with those that, that get it and, want to work through it and listen to Vince and some other different people speak. Um, It was interesting that um, there's probably over the last two months, I've had a group of five um, athletes and just started with a new group and they're 14 years old. And I started with them uh, last week or sorry, excuse me, on on, uh, Monday and gave them some homework on Tuesday, Wednesday. They walked in and said, you know, how did it go? And the one guy turned to me and goes, oh, I was with my personal trainer at the other spot. I couldn't do the work. Now, this is an individual that's 14, can't stand on one foot for more than about 15 seconds, can't do a whole bunch of different things, and proceeded to tell me that on Tuesday, the personal trainer was doing sprints and plyos and all kinds of different things. So um, you just, I don't know, I don't think you can sell it. I don't think you can convince it. I think you have to be straightforward with it and say, look, this is what people at the higher levels of the game were doing. This is how they got there. And it's not for everybody, but that's it. Awesome.
0: Well, I'm going to pull in Vicky, then Andy, and then over to, I think we got Shelly's phone. So uh, Vicky, thoughts?
9: Yeah. I just wanted to kind of spin off of uh, what Red was saying and Mark was saying uh, and Lauren on speaking to parents. And I've had the opportunity to do some presentations for parents on, on LTAD and, and things like that. And it, I, it is very challenging to, to get through the parents. I, I'm probably not a very good salesperson because I, I feel like I, maybe I get kind of get through to a couple, but the rest is, I almost feel like it's uh like a parent trying to talk to their teenager and tell their teenager what to do, or even though we might be kind of, quote unquote experts in the field. I don't think parents are always very impressed with us. Um, And I I almost wonder if uh, parents or athletes would hear the message more clearly if it was actually coming from the athletes. Uh Andy mentioned, you know, Sid played multiple sports growing up. If you had a Sidney Crosby or, or a Nathan McKinnon or, or an Austin Matthews or, or Marie Philippe Poulin, you know, banding together and and speaking on, on LTAD and what they did um, as as young athletes playing multiple sports, I wonder if that would probably have a, a much bigger impact um than us trying to, to relay that message.
0: Mm-hmm. Beautiful, Vicky. Andy.
7: I have a couple of perspectives on this. Um, probably, uh, there's, it really depends a lot on like who you're trying to speak to and what really the, the messaging is. Obviously when we're dealing with minor hockey, um, and this may vary from country to country, but, um, You're dealing with like parents that just simply aren't educated or have never really been around a high performance model or never really seen um, a high performing athlete and how they train and prepare and what are the resources that go into that. And so, where do they get their ideas from? I think it's sort of a popular culture thing, you know, and some are influenced by the sport and the sport coaches and the culture there. Some are influenced by maybe what they see down at their local gym and just think of, of what that looks like. And, and others probably maybe feed off each other a little bit. And certainly I don't think the internet helps a lot with that. So I really see the solution to that as an educational thing. Um, I think like your ideas, I think is a phenomenal idea, Scotty, about just trying to get uh, people that are experienced and credible together, start having some conversations and, and maybe, you know, put together something that has undeniable credibility and, and hopefully that that can sink in and maybe partner with a couple of influential, um, organizing bodies potentially um, so that that's one side of it the, the other side i think is maybe uh, uh I, I think an accountability thing to our profession i, I it's a very easy i think if you take a step back and say can we really objectively make an argument um, for spending less time in the ice and, and spending more time in physical development and obviously that's what i believe um, but how do we know that that's not just A bias, And how do we know that when we don't pull one or two athletes out and say, look at these athletes, they were multi-sport athletes, that we're not just really cherry picking in that situation. Because there are, in fact, many, many examples of athletes who were not multi-sport athletes who are highly successful in our sport. Um, And I think when you actually look at, there's so many ways you could tease it out. You could look geographically, you could look at different cohorts of athletes in different spots and actually find quite a few data sets and analysis where actually playing the sport more leads to more success. So, so I think it's really important that we dive into that and actually start doing some analyses um, that's kind of robust. And I I think it it forms a better argument than just, you know, because of course, if you're not a strength conditioning coach, and you have a strength conditioning coach telling you you need to train more and skate less. How, how do you really know that that's not just aligned with their bias, right? We have to make better arguments um, in order to really appeal to people that maybe aren't in our profession. And uh, I think those arguments, you go into some pretty deep dives. I think what you probably would see is that athletes that maybe are more well rounded, have better physical qualities, um, maybe they have. Um, less physical barriers like injuries at key times in their development. They may have um, better durability throughout their career. They may be more well-rounded as a player. But I think if you just take a good player and say, and, you know, then it's not a deep enough analysis. So I'm really curious. I don't even know where you would really start with that. Um, You know, Vicky might have some perspectives, but, but I'd be curious of of throwing that out. How would you study that? And and then really how would you be able to drive that into the credibility of the conversation?
0: Mm, That's a beautiful point, Sandy. You know, it makes me hearken back to I was at a, conference a few years ago and one of the presenters was talking um he was a, a british uh, performance coach and, and talking more about soccer the game of football so to speak and and the opinion in in the football industry is more that special early specialization is an almost a necessary reality for success uh, over overreaching success in the game and but the when you think about a sport like soccer it really takes into account pretty much every you know movement, um, you know, demand that one would need from an athletic perspective, you know, inclusive of, you know, ball handling and hand eye court or foot eye coordination, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, it's it, it, I think it's a it's a question that that isn't necessarily just uh, the correct answer um, for any one particular sport. I think you have to do that kind of uh, analysis. And maybe that's where some of this has to start with smarter people than myself but anyways um i digress i go to uh, shelly's phone was next and then uh i think lauren had his hand up but maybe put it down um and then vicky so shelly would do you have a question or a point that you would like to make uh,
4: just a comment scotty it's Pete uh calling in um, oh hey pete it, it, <laughs> uh, uh obviously you know who runs the show in my house uh yeah. shelly does Uh, But, hey, I got to be honest with you. I think something that also, I don't know if you guys have seen, but if you ever looked at, like, uh, when I started, Roger Nielsen was the guy to watch and stuff like that. So he asked his athletes. I think he actually had them running six miles to start the the season. They had to come in and run six miles uh, and test it on that. And then it went down to three and then whatever. I was talking to Gary Roberts a couple of years ago. And he says, shit, Pete, I can't even get the guy to run one mile let alone six miles. But the point being is that uh, I honestly think that a lot of times, you know, a strength and condition, we can talk all we want, but if we don't have the support of the head coach, uh, I think it's going to fall on deaf ears. The other thing is, you know, can I tell you something that I think we're doing a terrible job at, is showing the importance of this cross-training. I remember working with Dave King. I don't know if you guys remember that name in ice hockey, but Dave King was – You know, considered one of the best amateur coaches in the world uh, in the mid-80s. Anyways, he said, you know, Pete, uh, the Europeans are so much better with their eye-foot coordination because they play soccer. And he really emphasized our hockey players at the University of Saskatchewan, albeit we won the only national championship at the U of S, the Huskies, when Dave was at the helm. But the point is he, he made the relationship, the head coach made the relationship between uh, you know, eye foot uh, coordination, European soccer players. And again, you know what, Scotty, I broke into the league when they were wearing leather skates, to be honest with you. And that's another point of contention. I think us as strength coaches always have to be on the cutting edge of equipment modification, whether it's the short gloves, the, you know, the graphite sticks um, or whatever. And then uh, I'm just telling you what's happened. And I saw, and I'm not pointing fingers, but you know, the French goaltender, uh, as that came into Vogue, uh, how many hip injuries? Because everybody wanted to be like Patrick Waugh. You know, they wanted to uh, – uh, they, they weren't properly prepared for that. That's one point. But then also, too, if you ask most Czech players, and I, I could be corrected on this because I just dealt with Czech players, but they always had fantastic footwork. I said, how the hell did you ever get such great footwork? And you know what they said, Scotty? A bait, that's the baiting question. They're saying, what are you talking about? people?" Tennis. They love playing tennis over there. But the point being is, if we can make a a real strong argument, how I can make you better on the ice by doing this cross training. And then there's a fellow by the name of Wayne Gretzky. And I got to be honest, God bless him because I hate baseball. Honestly, I I find it the most boringest sport in the world. But Wayne said, and honestly, this is out of it. I don't, I know him a little bit, but uh, you know, I got to be honest. I'm not name dropping because he probably doesn't know my name. But point being is that he said playing baseball. It allowed him to concentrate even better for the game of ice hockey. Well, Scotty, I went to a baseball game the other day, and I was bored shitless. I mean, it was the boringest game. But I guess, you know, like there's different things you can glean from this, uh, from playing various sports. And I think it's up to us to educate the athletes in order to, you know, play the sport, how that's going to carry over to make you a better hockey player. I think that's what's going to give us success uh, in cross-training. You know, and albeit, I can't tell you something, this is the last my closing thought, is that we can't give a blanket statement. Some guys can play hockey, you know, 12 months of the year, and they're fine. They're unique, they're unicorns, but they can and there's no problem with it. But in my experience, and again, I I was talking about man days lost and stuff, or some uh, of our colleagues are talking about, that's what I was always judged on. And so I got to be honest with you, uh, playing sports all year, or hockey all year on, that just sets you up for a fail, unless you're a unicorn. Uh, But yeah. That's all I had to say. That's Shelly's iPhone out.
0: <laughs> Thank you, Peter. For those of you who've never heard Pete speak, uh Sunday afternoon at one thirty, uh Even if you have a little bit of a post-lunch lull, he'll wake you up. So don't worry about that. I'm gonna uh, pivot over to Vicky, and also Vic. um, I don't know if you want to comment on the question in the chat too. On the back end of what you say, at what point do you introduce objective testing, tracking data to explain progression, and set targets with kids? Can that help with explaining things to parents? And I know you do a lot of that and it's part of what you're going to be talking about in your presentation so you know have your comments and then maybe you can pivot off of that question too
9: sure yeah i just wanted to quickly touch on the the point by by andy um that you know there's definitely going to be athletes that don't follow uh you know the multi-sport route and still are, are very successful and uh it's kind of the stuff is, is pretty fresh in my brain. Cause just last month I did a, uh, a presentation for the CSCA on, on LTAD and, and I have always had this kind of cognitive dissonance of presenting on, you know, the, the multi-sport uh, late specialization type model versus uh, a more of a single sport specialized type model. And I've had this cognitive dissonance cause it, there isn't great, you know, research or evidence necessarily supporting it. I think it's based on uh, a little bit of logic and maybe observational ev- evidence and uh, I came across uh, a pretty recent paper, and I'll, I'll pop it in the chat, um, and it uh, it looked at over 6,000 athletes, um, I think 700 of them or so were uh, Olympic-level or World Championship-level athletes, and it was a big meta-analysis, and it, it found that uh, the athletes that specialized early, they had early success more so than the late specializers, but that didn't necessarily predict later success um, longer term. So I I encourage if if anyone's kind of looking to to nerd out on some LTAD, it's a a pretty reasonable read and it's pretty fresh off the press. I think it it just came out, but there definitely is a lot of area opportunity there um, for, I think more types of of research and and getting a better idea of whether multi-sport actually does really work as well as we think it does Um, anyway uh and then the the other point here with uh when do we introduce uh objective testing and, and tracking data so i don't uh, i don't currently work with athletes uh uh younger than high school so that's kind of when we when we start tracking some of these things uh for them and i, I do think uh from uh a growth and maturation standpoint like at, young athletes are just by nature of growth and maturation, they're going to get stronger and faster and and more powerful just because they're, they're growing. Um, but I do think that, um, you know, giving them a little bit of, of objective information on some of these things can, can help them get excited and more engaged in, in some of the training. You don't want to certainly make it all about that. And we can't measure all of the things that are important for, for athletes. But, um, you know, I don't mind measuring um, some things for our, our young high schoolers because it, it does start to to give us a little bit of baseline and, and give them something to build off of and give them some positive encouragement of, of the hard work that they're putting in.
0: Mm. Thanks Vicki.
11: Um, I think Mark and then Greg has a, a question or a point. Yeah, just really quickly. I was just going to say that, um, I think you guys kind of said it the right way, Vicky, for sure. Like you, you have to be careful with where you implement the testing and what, how you really like almost advertise the testing as well. Like if, if it were to be implemented in whatever way, because I think that could feed the, the crazy engine that I spoke to earlier uh, around like, Oh, if my kid doesn't test well, when he's 10, does it mean that X, or if he does test well, does it mean X? And I think that's, that's the hard part to be honest. And I think that's what we're, you know, we're all trying to, you know, figure out is, is or at least think about is how do we get good information in front of people and say, Hey, look, like this is, you know, from this age to this age, it's about getting them to enjoy the game, getting them to have sport exposures, getting them you know, to do X, Y, and Z, but it's not about, you know, picking them up at at nine years old and saying, you're going to be an NHL hockey player a lot. You know, puberty is the ultimate, uh, Ace in the hole, right? What what's going to happen? Is it going to happen when we think it's going to happen? Is it going to be late? Is it going to be early? Like that's, those are all things that I think fall into that equation. And we all kind of you know touched on it, but I think that's, uh, you know, it, it has to be. It's not it's not going to be something that covers everybody. There's always going to be outliers. There's always going to be things. But I think we need, in general, to do a better job at saying what is, you know, the average or the the most optimal way to get the majority of the kids on the right path.
0: Thank you, Mark. I appreciate that.
13: Greg? Thanks, Scotty. I appreciate uh, everything that you're doing here and, and great taking copious notes here. And, and from my perspective as an organization that is looking to find a way to perhaps develop a platform that we can take some of these great points and deliver them to, to the athletes, uh, deliver them to the parents. Deliver them to other strength and conditioning coaches. Um, you know, for us, uh, having the scope that we do, we're trying to transparently find new ways to connect with different groups. And this, you know, is a bit of a passion project for me from, from the perspective of uh, having done a lot of what's been spoken about of dealing with training athletes myself, working as, as a dad, as a coach, as a skills coach. I just think that the more tools we can give the athletes, is it a, is it an athlete's handbook? Is it a is it a parent's guide to dot dot dot? Is it or what tools can we give and support, and where can we even put some resources as an organization to help you folks deliver that message? I mean, I, I heard Vicky's point about you know the credibility of the uh, uh, um, athlete versus the strength and conditioning coach, but there's also some great points. You know, in terms of from the parents' perspective, uh, so I'm I'm thinking as as you wind up here, uh, what kind of platform can we assist with and help create to deliver some of this this these messages out to those that need it the most? And there's there's lots that need it. I've heard the skills coaches. I've heard you know, feedback around what the athletes need in terms of education uh, what the parents need in terms of education. Um, and there's other, you know, there's a, there was an accountability piece by Andy around, uh, strength and, de- strength and conditioning coaches and, and being accountable to your profession. So I, I just think taking all this good stuff and developing a platform might be a nice takeaway. And I'd be, be happy to, uh, to be a part of that.
0: Yeah. I appreciate that very much. Uh, Greg, thanks for chiming in there. And I'm going to leave the last comment before I wrap this up to Doug Crashley. Doug, thanks for picking up your hand. love to hear your perspective. I know you do a lot of work in this area. So what's your what are your th- comments, sir?
14: Yeah, I think I come from a little bit of a split perspective now. I'm, uh, I am got a son who's playing hockey. He's just a little older than uh, Fitzy's, uh, Fitzy's boys. He just turned 15 and went through the chaos of, uh, you know, I can say on one hand I'm a uh, – you know development coach hockey development coach sport performance coach other half I'm, I'm a crazy hockey dad like like so many others and quite frankly I, it was a learning lesson for me just like i think fitzy kind of mentioned at first year you, you, you make some mistakes i think i made all the mistakes along the way um just being a little too hard on my my son um expecting too much i try to you know i tried to educate other parents about things you um, know what the best route is. Slowing things down, you get you get drawn into it. I'm sure Fitzy feels that way too. As much as you say no, you get drawn into it. Um, and so I kind of went through that whole process. Uh, and then just this past year, he would be in sort of the uh, the peak of I will call peak of hot, crazy hockey in the West. Here is the, uh, the Western Hockey League, the Bantam Draft age group. So he went through that. Plays in one of the academies, the, uh, the Edge School here uh, the, in Calgary. And so I was sort of right in the middle of that with all kinds of our clients and friends, kids, and then my son and kind of learned a lot about a lot of things. And uh, one of my learning points was, and, and, and Mark, you mentioned to so your son, if you ever made I said anything, it would be the thumbs up. And, and mine was, as my, my son would joke about it. And a couple of my billet guy last year, they joke about, oh, you always look so angry on, on the glass, you stand on the glass. And I said, that's not angry. I got gas. And so my running joke all the time was it was just a matter of, if I looked angry it's probably because I have gas I'm having a great time I love watching you guys play enjoy the game because I love the game I enjoy the game so don't get me wrong so that was immediately and I stand y'all you know, stand in the corner in the glass I like being ice level I, you know I coached him at a younger age I tried to get away from that but I've sort of been through it all. And then on the perspective of on the strength conditioning side and, and as a parent even, you know, he's he's got great resources at the school. He's at the Edge School. Uh, one of Andy's former guys, Ross McCain, does a great job. Great job there at the guys and the, the ladies and the, the ladies program. And uh, one of the things that I found both in my business but also as a father is a, a little bit of testing and, and checkups, jump testings and testings. And, and finding positives and learning how to improve has developed for all the kids. And This is feedback not only for my son but the other kids. And I, I enlisted more probably as a parent. And I'm more aware as a parent. But it drove them to want to work harder and be more involved, and they have bigger passion for the the training side of their development. And they, and they take more ownership of it. I try. I mean, I obviously I don't train my son. His guys train with staff and our from our team. I, I stay away from that. I stay on the dad side. But I have learned that you know watching what makes him happy, what kind of motivates him is a little bit of feedback. So some of those testing and evaluations and assessments and tracking has been really good. Not so much to worry about. Obviously puberty is gonna push bump everything and different le- players at different levels, but the ability to chase a little bit of a value and see that as they improve their jump, they notice their scoring get better. You know, whether you know their skating get better, sorry, and they and they feel more successful. And then they see able to kind of integrate and understand and correlate like that has been really good for a lot of the uh a lot of the kids, my son, and then also a lot of the players that talked to me at that age were 10 years ago or 12 years ago before I had a son and, and coming up through the system. I would never take players younger than... And they're bad you're being over. So 15, I always be like, will you train my kid? And I know I'll take your money any day, but I don't, why don't we wait a year or two years? I'll take your money then kind of thing. Where now I, all of a sudden, I sort of paid attention to what happens in phys ed or the lack thereof, phys ed in a lot of programs. And they're not getting a lot of physical literacy in school the way you want them to. And he played lacrosse and soccer and, and baseball. He went through it in gymnastics and then swam lots. And my daughter, who's a volleyball player, she went through it too. And I, and I learned a lot as a parent, probably a lot more as a parent, in the last 10 years and I did in the first 10 years when I was a, uh, a childless strength coach. I've learned a lot that way. So, that's my
0: end game there. That's awesome. That's a great way to finish. Uh, I want to wrap this up by saying, uh, off the back of Greg's points, um, the reason this, the genesis of this conversation uh, was, uh, you know, from a conversation I had with Mark and Greg around us trying to create something and have, and Matrix wants to get involved in creating a, a platform or something that that we can get message out as a community to uh, the community at large from um, obviously the people people who do this for a living to give a sort of a better message, um, around, you know, the profile of athlete development. <laughs> so this is a long game process. This is kind of a, an instigator moment and, uh, this will continue to metamorphosize over time, but hopefully it gets everybody thinking a little bit about it and, uh, pulling together, uh, as a group to, 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 to just message better and create uh, better outcomes for our kids. So thanks Mark for starting the, the, this whole thing last year with your passionate uh, presentation and, and thank you everybody for coming tonight. Um, uh, Again, thank you to all of our sponsors. Thanks for joining us today on leave your Mark. I hope we've left a mark on you today and we wish only that you pay it forward by sharing this story, taking the time to rate and comment on this podcast Please follow us at Twitter at Built by Scott and Instagram at King and become a member of this community at Scott G. Livingston on Facebook. Have a great day.
4: Music by Cedric de Saint-Rome.